0: parents who have only one or two strategies for disciplining a child have not put the work in that the parents who've got four or five strategies what will be an effective punishment for one won't be an effective punishment for the other one mm. you know time on a on a device is only going to work for a kid who really wants to be on the device not for the one who wants to get outside and kick the football
1: that's dr george blair west and this is part two of my interview with him episode 21 of the super Dad show Now let's move on to talking about parenting and you say that we parent the way we were parented or do the opposite unless we stop and think. Now I actually have a a quote that I came up with, which was be the dad you needed as a kid. And you go under the comments and you see how many people are saying I'm the opposite to the way my dad was. Can you explain what you mean?
0: Yeah. And, 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 you're talking to the issue there. You see, this comes from the first book we ever wrote, my wife and I wrote this book together, was never published because it was on child discipline. Mm. And we went to publish it. We actually had a publisher who said, Yeah, we'll publish it, good idea. Except we want you to take out all that reference to the science and the research. <laughs> the point was we'd written the book because there were no books out there at the time, and this is when our kids were young, so this is 20 years ago. Mm. There were no books out there that really reviewed the research. And most of the the handful of books that were out there on child discipline were books from, you know, mums who had six kids and that was not a bad qualification, but not the best either. And so we wanted to write a book that really reviewed the research and the evidence and and anyway, they wanted us to take that out. So we never resolved that problem. That was one of those unresolvable issues between Mm -hmm. a publisher and an author and the book never got published. We did run some workshops on it, but I do have a particular interest in Child discipline, you know, for that reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and we're going to ask it, a question about that soon.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so what? What happens here is that you, you, we're we're walking automatons. Our our unconscious mind is designed to give us as many automatic responses to situations that life throws at us as possible, and our conscious mind is designed to pick up the ones that are left, and that are that we don't have an automatic solution to. Otherwise, we would just be overwhelmed by it mm. in of life. So, you know, in our day, psychologists have worked out that about 90% of the decisions we take are taken automatically. Mm. And just on that, we'd like to think maybe that the 10% of decisions that we do decide to take consciously are the important ones. Bad news on that. We actually, the, the 10% of decisions we do take consciously are the ones we like to take, the ones that we want to play with the difficult ones we will, again, respond to automatically. Mm. So you've got to remember, we're walking automatons. So when it comes to a complex task like parenting, if we don't stop and think, then our brain is just going to pull up a template and guess where they get it from? Yeah, yeah. It's whatever happened to us. Yeah. Now, the slightly better version of that is when people go, I don't want to do what my parents did to me. They were horrible in this area. I'm going to do the opposite now I've got to tell you that's only slightly better and often it can be worse because okay. what the opposite of what a parent did has got its own problems. so you know as I said before, you know undercaring is a problem, overcaring is a problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in the same way, you know we've got to stop and think. Now this is where partners are at their most valuable because. When you've got a partner in a relationship, this is why I really feel for single mothers who's, who, where the father of their kids has disappeared because they, they have to do this on their own and it's much harder. But if you're lucky enough to either still have, be living with your partner or get on with the partner you've separated from when it comes to managing the children, then you've got this incredible resource where you've got another human being that is also concerned about disciplining the children who's got a different worldview from you. Yeah. And now you two can just the act of negotiating your different through your different worldviews and coming up with a unique solution for your children, remembering that each child is different. Yeah, you know, with our kids, our daughter, she was pretty, you know, strong-minded. I don't like the word stubborn because, as, as, as I see, when she got older, her strong-mindedness has really taken her lots of really interesting places. But as a kid, you saw this, and she needed much stronger disciplinary measures put in place than our son who was a bit more, a bit more timid, a bit more quickly aroused. You often just say to him, look, mate, you know, let's stop that and just look at him and use a tone of voice. And, and he would, mm-hmm. wouldn't work with our daughter. Mm-hmm. So You've got to come up with unique solutions, not between just you two as parents, but for each child. Yep. And people say, oh, but you got to treat them all the same. Well, no. Because even kids work out. And we discussed this with that, because if, if, if necessary, you explained it. No, we use different strategies for each of you because you're individuals. You're different. Mm. What, what will be an effective punishment for one won't be an effective punishment for the other one. Limiting mm. you know, time on a, on a device is only going to work for a kid who really wants to be on the device, not for the one who wants to get outside and kick a football.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep.
0: So what we've got to do as parents is we've got to stop and think. We've got to think about our child, what's... And, and one of the things that came out of our and we, – so we've got to think about our child, we've got to think about our partner's viewpoints, and then we've got to come up with a unique solution for each kid. Mm. And this takes work. And if you want an example of, you know, the work that makes a relationship a success, we're right in the middle of it now. Yep, yep. Look, and then great, we've got to come up yeah. – one of the research findings that we, we put, put in the book was – and it was a very interesting one, very simple one. The parents who had the best, the most well-adjusted kids – and this is the research we are really interested in – is. Mm what parenting strategies when kids are five turn into being well-adjusted kids when they're 15 or 20? Mm-hmm. That was the research that we were most interested in that drove mm-hmm. what we book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, we're not very interested in what seems to work in the short term. We're interested in what makes them healthy adults, yeah. healthy young adults. Yeah. And one of the most profound findings was that the parents who used the greatest range of disciplinary measures had the most well-adjusted kids. Wow. Well. Very, very simple, but very profound and strong finding that was replicated Mm. by any study that looked at it because what they're playing with is the parents who have only one or two strategies for disciplining a child have not put the work in that the parents who've got four or five strategies have. Mm. Mm. And that's all it is. It's it's mum and dad sitting down and saying, okay, we've got this problem with our kid. Hey, what happened in your family? What happened in my family? This didn't work very well. That wasn't bad. Let's do our version of that. Yeah. Yeah. This speaks to the other big issue, which is parents have got to be united in the disciplinary measures that they bring to their children. Kids are the first to, you know, divide and conquer. They yep. they, they work that one out yep. without having to go to, you know, battle school.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and- George, I actually just sent uh, uh, my my listeners and my my email list a PDF, which was for a rules and chores list that gets come up with as a family and uh you know it's 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 great and it's one of the things you sit down whether it's between different homes I'm, i mean i know that there seems to be quite an adaption with kids yeah. between different homes they know what the rules are in one home and they know what the rules are in another but Absolutely. obviously what you're saying is you've both sets of parents can come together whether divorced or not and come up with those rules as a family that are enforced consistently. And yes, they can be different for each child and the rewards are different and the consequences and they might And different.
0: they might be different in different homes because of different imperatives. Yeah. Kids do adapt. Kids adapt brilliantly to mm-hmm. you know, these differences. They, mm-hmm. you know, think about when you were in school and you had different teachers, kids work out very quickly. Yeah. You know, be a good kid or to be a bad kid, mm. what, what, you know, to do and what not yep. to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it doesn't matter if the rules are slightly different from yeah. household to household when we're dealing with a, a blended family or separated yeah. Yeah. by the parents. Yep. Um, but I can tell you each parent is going to halve their work, if not reduce it by 80%, mm. if they can get together and agree on, on matching disciplinary strategies. Beautiful. The the, the, the the long-term saving from that strategy and the kids, you know, one of the, I'll tell you one other story really quickly. Yeah. I noticed when my daughter was about two or three, no, she must have been younger. She was 18 months because she was still in a high chair. Mm. And there were these mornings when she'd you know, get irritable and she'd throw a bit of food around or whatever and she wouldn't eat it. And one of the things that you know, we worked out, partly we were doing this research for the book at the time, was that even with young kids, you can actually use time out. And it's very brief timeout. The rules with timeout is you use it for one minute for every year of age. So yeah, I've got no kid, old kid, it's like 90 seconds. Hmm. Take her out of the high chair and put her in, the, in a cot for 90 seconds and then put her back. And she knew what she was doing wrong. You yeah,
1: know.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I noticed after, a, I don't know, a few weeks of this, that on the mornings that we didn't you know, discipline her for you know, throwing food around or whatever, For the rest of the morning, she was more grumbling. On the mornings that we had actually, you know, brought in the disciplinary measure, she was much more settled. Mm. And I realised when I went back and thought about this, that, see, children feel very out of control a lot of the time. They don't have the internal constraints to bring themselves under control. They're relying on parents to do this for them. And so when they're feeling out of control and the parent steps in and calmly and assertively brings them under control, Mm. they're actually, they won't be grateful for it, let's not kid ourselves, but they will be more settled as a result of it. Mm. Mm. And this I then saw all through the, you know, our children growing up because our kids are in in their early 20s now. So I've got to see, you know, what we did right or wrong. Our kids are both very articulate. They're pretty good at pointing out what we did right or wrong. (laughs) And and so, you know, but I, I could see all through their, right through to their teenage years, how they still need a parent who will contain them even when they will fight you for doing so. I'm I, mm-hmm. are so getting tight on time. I want to leave you with another story dear listeners. Let's jump to the other end of the spectrum here, which yes. is, I remember seeing this 15 year old kid many years ago. He taught me a lot and he was telling me how he wanted to go to this party and stay out overnight. And his parents were quite understandably saying, no, you're too young. We're happy for you to go to the party. We know there'll be alcohol there. We're going to come and pick you up at midnight. And he fought and fought that he wanted to be allowed to stay over. And he wore his parents down. And they finally relented and agreed. And he he looked at me in, in our session. And he got really emotional. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, they gave up on me. Wow. Right. I, I think this gets me emotional, because this is you know this is really seeing the fullness of being human here, and and, mm. and the complexity of being human. Mm. And this is what this kid was. You know, all the important things I've ever been taught have been taught to me by my patients. Mm. And and what he was describing was he was fighting tooth and nail to to go to this party, and his parents gave up the fight. Mm. And he felt like it as an abandonment. Mm-hmm. And they really needed to hold the line and have a pissed off fifteen year old, which is pretty unpleasant for you know, more than more than twenty four hours, probably. Mm-hmm. But that kid wanted them to hold the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've we've got to we've got to remember that our children they're relying on us. Yep to look after them even when they're fighting against us to not look after them
1: Mm.
0: and and this is where you know we've got to hold the line we've got to we've got to be firm we've got to be what i think really good parenting looks like
1: Mm. Mm. now uh this is a question you came up with and i'm just going to change it just slightly now the question is why is loving their children's mother the most important thing a dad can do for his children. But I think that word loving could be why is respecting their children's mother or why is being amicable towards their children's mother the most important thing a dad can do for his children.
0: Yeah and look you're 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 changing that because I know we're talking to separated parents out there and yes. and that doesn't actually change what I said because I, I would actually keep the word love in there because I have a different view of love from most people. This is, Mm -hmm. you have to get very clear on what love is when you're doing relationship therapy work. And my definition, my working definition of love has two parts to it. The first is that love is uh, true love is a commitment to nurturing personal growth in the other person and ourselves. Oh, that's good. And the second part of that, which is the feeling part of it, because you know, Nurturing personal growth isn't about a feeling. And people get confused when I say, hold on, this is what love is. And they go, no, love's a feeling, you know, feel love. No, no. If, if we based a long-term relationship on a feeling of love, then we'd all be divorced within, you know, two years. Hmm. Love comes and goes. The feeling of love comes and goes. This goes back to the work of Scott Peck, if, if anybody wants to read. He wrote this wonderful book many years ago called The Road of Less Travel. He had a chapter in there, which I remember reading when I was trying to make sense of, of this as a relationship therapist, mm-hmm. that love is not a feeling. And this is what he's talking about. There's a second part to it, though, just to round out this way of thinking about love. The second part of my definition of love is it's, it's about accepting your partner and, of course, having them accept you as you are. Basically, yeah. seeing you as you are and still fully accepting you and respecting you. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's about loving somebody warts and all. Yep. Expecting somebody you know, warts and all. Yep. And that's often the feeling we have. That's the tangible feeling when you are exploring what's happening in a relationship 10, 15 years down the track. Mm. And that's what people are talking about when they feel loved. They, they, they know that they're a flawed human being. Mm. And their partner is giving them a feeling. And that feeling is often deep acceptance despite them being a flawed, mistake-ridden, mistake-making, sorry, human being. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, so when you think about love that way, we can still apply that to when we separated from our mother's, uh, our children's mother. But I, I agree with you, if we can't bring ourselves, and not there's an enormous amount of hurt and anger around separations. Uh, we can talk about that some other time. But, but we do need to try and, respect them or find that um, respect for them in front of the children mm-hmm. yep. because it's almost impossible to have happy children with openly warring parents and that, mm-hmm. i can't i can't stress that point i'm going to say it again it's almost yeah. impossible to have happy children with openly warring parents so if we want our children to be happy we've got to sort out our relationship and why am i saying the most important thing that the dad can do is love their mother. Well, because I'm talking to dads, if I was talking to mothers, I'd be saying... That's right.
1: And we will have some mothers listening to this, so it it, it goes both ways for sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the first point. If we want to have happy children, we've got to have parents who are showing and demonstrating a degree of care and respect for each other. And, of course, the opposite end of that spectrum, the worst possible arrangement, is when not only are the parents in conflict, but they're putting the other parent down. Yeah. You know, think about the message that gives your child, if you tell them what a crazy, stupid bitch their their mother is, Mm -hmm. which, you know, words that I have, you know, frequently seen, um, you know, words like that used to children about Mm. their their, their mother. Mm. You know, these kids are, are, are half of that parent's child. You're talking to them about their DNA. You're talking to them about, you know, who they are. And, you know, we can forget that when we, when parents appear to forget that when they're telling their children how crazy the other parent is, Mm. you know, you're not doing anything of any use to that child's own self-esteem by telling them that they've got another parent who is crazy or whatever.
1: Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing this. And um, look, let's, let's talk about divorce now and what can dads do to support their children through
0: divorce? Okay, so what follows directly from that, it's a nice segue, is that they have got to not put down the child's mother to the kids. The As hard as it might be when you're dealing with the anger that is pretty much always there around separation and divorce, that anger, by the way, is sitting on top of hurt, mm-hmm. and that hurt is very specific hurt. It's the biggest hurt of all. It's rejection and abandonment. It's slightly different, and they're the two big Emotions that get triggered during separation. And this this is even when, if we're talking about dads here, it's even when a dad might initiate the separation, they can still get angry and hurt when their partner, when they separate, even though they're the ones who are seemingly responsible. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Because they're still deep down, as we all do, feeling that maybe, you know, there's something wrong with them. And rejection Mm. and abandonment brings up all of our greatest doubts about ourselves. And this is why there are no greater emotions of any greater power to my mind Mm. Um, because we know that the only time that dads become normal dads go and do something horrible and the worst of which, of course, is kill children partners and themselves, is in the face of rejection and abandonment. These, these can be dads who are reasonably functioning parents up until that, human beings up until this point. So we're talking about emotions that can take not a psychopath, not a criminal, not somebody who normally does bad things and make them do some of the worst possible things. So we're dealing with very, very big emotions here. And, and we just have to be ready for that. And we've got to then being ready for that, knowing that we've got these big emotions coming up, really put the effort in to... Talk to our children about their other parent in a very different way, and then, of course, mm. a related issue to that is using the children as pawns to try and get at your uh, your, your, your ex partner.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: and yep. and because the problem that angry people have is that there's only two ways you can get at your ex partner from, yeah, you know, the vast majority of the time and that's through the children and money. Mm, mm,
1: mm.
0: You can't. You, know, you don't have any more claim over them on a day-to-day basis. And yeah. So, Unfortunately, you know, children and money become the only two avenues for expressing the anger at the other partner. And the the most critical, if we're going to run in one thing, if we're going to make one change after divorce, it would be to, to know that you're going to have those powerful emotions at play, that they're mm-hmm. going to bring up your greatest um, personal doubts about yourself. Yep. Yeah. And that you're going to be at grave risk of this, and to be extra careful when you're around your children, mm. to to not put their other parent down and to not use them as pawns. What I mean by using them yeah. as pawns? yeah, it's like when the other the other parent wants to go out to an important event, you know, maybe on a date with with their new new love, and it's your their turn to have the kids, and they say, "Can you have the kids?" and you go. No, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, or when the kids want to come over, and you know that's going to free the parent up to see their new partner, mm-hmm. and you say no to the kids because you want to keep the ki- kids there so that they have to stay home and look after them. In these ways, yeah. kids get used as pawns
1: mm-hmm.
0: in playing out this hurt and anger. Yeah, and you know it's just a disaster for kids. This, mm-hmm. it, it, it just yeah. You know, there were often parents when they divorce are thinking, you know, what can I do? to look after my kids through all of this. And then they do, you know, shit like that, that just undoes. Mm, the yeah, in. Yeah.
1: Now yeah. look these kids that are really not dealing well with, with divorce. Um, and they start to experience anxiety and depression and, you know, they're being medicated for ADHD and, and everything. I mean, I guess I'm trying to work out whether there is an increase in this condition in children these days, or it's always kind of been there. Look, this, um, is,
0: this is what I was talking about, as why in my TED talk about why we've got to have more prevention. Mm. Around the, around the whole concept of marriage because there's too much of an acceptance that it's kind of normal and inevitable because statistically it is normal. Mm. And you know, This is why I'm talking about getting single people to understand the early factors that can set them up and that's what I talk about in the TED talk. Uh-huh. But yeah, children are just so at risk here and we've really got to be we really need to be going out of our way to look after them. I'm going to give you, I want to give you one strategy here that I'm inevitably coming to with most of my parents. Please. That fixes a whole pile of woes when it comes to children who are suffering anxiety, eating disorders, you know, body dysmorphic disorder, which is very common amongst, or more common amongst children who are, um, you know, going through these kinds of things where they become overly concerned about their appearance and so on. Mm. Yeah, the single most important strategy, and it's really a variation on date night, so it kind of marries, you know, to our earlier conversation. But this is where parents spend one-on-one time with their child. And they do something, and this is very important too, they do something the child wants to do, not have the child tag along when they do something they want to do. So you're taking the child to a movie they want to see, or you're better still going and doing some activity that they really would like to do. If it's a boy and he wants to kick a football, then it's going and spending, you know, 45 minutes kicking a football with them. Whatever it might be, often these days, it's sitting down and playing a computer game with them, and that's okay too.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. We do want to have more interaction. The problem with computer games is it can be very, you know, it's good at one level because it's side by side, and kids always react better side by side, which is why kids talk more when they're in a passenger seat of a car than they will sitting across a table from us. Hmm, hmm. Um, but, well, particularly boys, you don't sit boys down and say, tell me about your life and expect them to talk. <laughs> with boys, you go and do shit with them. Hmm. And they'll talk while you're doing stuff. Hmm, with you. hmm. Gaming, yeah, not so much because games are designed to be very engaging, but you can often do a bit of gaming and then you can go and do something else and it all becomes, yeah, we'll, let, let's go and kick a football for 20 minutes and let's go and play a game, you know, your favourite online game for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's so, so this is what we call special time but it's got to be one-on-one because here's the thing you and I are sitting here chatting if God decided to flutter in and, 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 and visit both of us we wouldn't quite know which one of us he'd come to visit you know we he might say look you know, you guys have a really interesting conversation you just sort of drop in and say hi but in the back of our minds, we're going to be going, yeah, maybe Jared knows something that I don't hear and God really is interested in his work. And you might be thinking, yeah, maybe he's here to see George because, you know, he's the expert in this little space here. We don't know. And this is the problem. Kids see their parents as God-like, right? Mm-hmm. But guess what? If God came and visited either of us on our own, we'd feel pretty special, wouldn't we? We would. And there'd be no doubt about it. And so while we've got to have family time as well, the problem with family time is if there's two or three kids, I've often had one kid tell me, yeah, we had family time growing up, but they weren't doing it for me. They were doing it for my other kids, the, the kids they got on better with, you know, am brother who really liked to kick the football you know he did we were out and about doing that because he dad dad was a football player you know mm, mm. so we've got to do one-on-one stuff with our kids yeah people yeah. who are lucky enough to have two kids it's really easy because you yeah. just one parent takes one and the other one takes the other but if you got three or four yeah you it around or mm. the other thing is when kids are going through difficult times you just spend more time with that kid one-on-one in special time. Yeah, and Explain this to kids. They get it. And they say, look, your sister's going through a tough time at the moment. We're going to be spending some extra time with her. And, of course, down the track, you've got to make sure you do it. Yeah. yeah. So so special time is, is really critical. And mm. it, it, I use it to treat, well, I'll tell you how often parents come in and tell me they're worried about little Johnny or little Jane who maybe got ADHD, maybe they haven't who are anxious, who are worried, who appear to be withdrawing socially, whatever it is, the poor self-esteem. One of the questions I will you know, pretty quickly get to is how much time do you spend one-on-one with your kids? Mm. And I can tell you the answer that I get nine out of 10 times is, oh, no, not really. We do stuff together. I say, like what? And then they basically tell me about whether kids tag along when, Well they do stuff, or mm. well, they do stuff as a family. But no. Think about the power, the message to a child. And this, this builds self-esteem. If you've got a kid worried about their self-esteem, the very first thing you do is special time with them, 45 minutes a week, you know, for six months, then you'll fix it. Because the kid with low self-esteem thinks they're not important. So if they're most godlike people in their world, which are their parents, give them the most valuable thing those parents have, which is time. That child can't help but recognise that they're important.
1: Now, George, we're, um, <laughs> I love how you tackled that uh, that question because you are a psychiatrist and you have talked about prevention. But what is your view on medicating children for anxiety, depression, ADHD?
0: Look, I, I'm not going to go there, not my space of expertise. I will say that um, parents have to watch their own biases and prejudices here. I see some parents that say, oh, I'm not going to ever medicate my child and other parents are a bit quick to get in and put them on an ADHD medication, Mm. you know, get, get some good advice, you know, make sure you discuss it with your GP and and then one other person, at least two other professionals, if you can, like a psychologist, maybe a Mm. pediatrician, Mm. listen to what they have to say. And when, particularly when, when all of the professionals involved agree, pay attention, even if it goes against your own views. Mm.
1: Yep. Yeah. And look, when we were planning the content for this episode, you mentioned that a great question to ask our partner often is what can I do to be a better partner? I think it'd be great to ask, what can I do to be a better parent as well?
0: Yeah. Back, that, can,
1: that can set us up for some pretty tough work to do on ourselves. You know?
0: It can. And, and I encourage the dads who you work with and who might be listening to this end of the month to have the courage to ask both their partner and their children separately.
1: Mm.
0: What can I do to be a better father to you? And look, we don't ask this when we're in trouble. We don't ask it when we're stressed. We don't ask when, when, when we've a lot of other stuff on our plate. I, I suggest to parents, you know, when, you, when things are going a little bit better, um, if you really want to take it to the next level, then find the courage to go and ask the question. And don't ask it once. That's kind of, you know, just playing... Mm going through the motions mm. now you're going to ask them and then you're going to come back a month later and you're going to ask them again and you're going to come back a month later and ask them again. And you know, if they're saying the same thing, because you've got to remember this nine out of 10 times what our parents to our partners want us to change will make us a better person. Very rarely do I see what a partner wants their partner to do to change and do differently to be something that wouldn't make them a better person. One of the most common ones, and it was the one I had to work on as a parent, was being more patient. Patience is such a a little word and seems to be such a a minor aspect of a healthy relationship But I can tell you. In fact, I went to a conference where one of my um, uh, guiding lights in this space, although he doesn't do so much these days, his name was Wally Goddard, And he said that the single most important thing that was, that you needed to have a relationship be successful was patience. And I thought, what? What about, you know, trust and loyalty and love and commitment? And then, but he really bugged me because I knew Wally was really good at his work. I thought, patience, why would patience be the single biggest thing? And I got it. You know, if you think you're the world's most loving, caring, considerate partner, and you're impatient with your partner when you interact with them, it doesn't matter. And equally, you might be the world's biggest asshole, but if you're really patient when you listen to your partner and they're talking and you listen and you pay attention and and, and when they're pushing you, you stay patient and you don't get irritable with them and you don't snap, you can be the world's biggest asshole and you have a pretty good relationship. Mm -hmm. What he's kind of saying is patience is the final common pathway. And if you look after patience, it actually looks after a pile of other stuff and we often can fool ourselves by thinking I'm a good provider, you know, I'm a good dad. I, I, I do this, I do that. But then we're impatient with our partner and our children and mm. it just destroys the day-to-day interaction. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah. Patience capital letters, top of the list.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> patience and presence.
0: But yeah, so going back to your question here, when, when your dads are feeling up to it, when, you, when your mothers are feeling up to it, uh, go and ask your partner, what can I do to be a better partner? Mm. Listen really carefully to what they say because I can tell you this, if you actually go away and do it and then you come back a month later and you ask them again and they say, yeah, actually, you have changed that. You know, you're not that irritable bastard like you used to be. Guess what happens next? they start to look at themselves. Now, wow. yeah. you are going to have to finish up in a minute or two because my yep. computer's about to die and I don't actually have the charger with
1: me. <laughs> I've um, got one more question. That's fine. There are so many philosophies when it comes to parenting. What are your strategies for disciplining children to teach good behaviour and bring them up as responsible adults?
0: Right. So this goes back to a couple of things that we've spoken to. This goes back to modelling. It yes. goes back to treating your, your your partner with respect mm. and not bring kids up to be respectful to others if they have not been witness to that in their own home. It just can't happen. So this is a modelling question. The answer is a modelling answer in part.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
0: and I'm thinking, it's a very big question, and I don't think I can do it justice um, in its fullness. But if I can, uh...
1: what I like is you—you you have basically wrapped up our whole interview by saying, "Be the role model that our children need to become the the, the patient, the present, you know, um, parent, and partner that we want them to be in the future,"
0: and also. And also let them know when you screw up and make mistakes Mm. and apologize for it Mm. because kids, you can model all of that, but you can also then, this is a good example of how, you know, we can wound our children no matter what we do. You know, we could be a wonderful model of respect and, 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 you know, working hard to be considerate to others and we can look a bit like we're larger than life if we don't admit our children when we make mistakes and, and they end up feeling because they are making mistakes as, as is the human state that they're not as good as, they're, there's something wrong with them that they can't do it like mum or dad does it and kids cannot factor in the 20 or 30 years of extra life that that parent has had, they compare themselves with their parents and they feel that they're not doing as good a job and they have to be constantly reminded that they, they, they really are just a kid Hmm. And that you know, adults can do this stuff because they have it and when and when they're our age, they'll be good at it too. That's a much more useful message yeah, to yeah, yeah. Um, hear and and the final thought on that is is just kids are really good at beating themselves up. Again, they won't admit to it very often, but it doesn't hurt to be checking in with them when they've made a mistake or even when you've disciplined them and say to them, you know. I hope you're not beating yourself up over this. This doesn't mean you're a bad kid. You know, this is just stuff we need to learn. We all have to learn. And turning it from a beating yourself up into a healthy learning process, you know, when I think about it, that's an incredible head start to give your kids. You know, we know the people who are most successful in business, you know, the entrepreneurs who make it are the ones who see mistakes as setbacks that you learn from rather than evidence that you're not good enough and don't deserve to succeed.
1: Absolutely. Dr. George Blair West, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. I think you're amazing and you have uh, so much wisdom and uh, and you know learnings to share with our audience. So I'm really looking forward to future conversations
0: with you. No, look, it's been a pleasure, and I'm really, I'm, I'm really enjoying these very uh, articulate and and insightful questions you're asking. It's allowed us to cover a whole pile of ground here that I don't often cover in these interviews, so that's been really cool.
1: Fantastic, fantastic, and there's look, there's so much inspiration for me from our 19,000 followers. So, uh, mate, you know, I'm, I'm here to do the best I can to improve the lives of the kids, you know, and. And I think that's what it all comes down to. You know, we're stepping up as dads so that we can become, um, you know, great role models to our children and help them to be better in this world. And
0: so. it's, how, it's how all cultural change happens, hmm. from uh, small numbers of human beings coming together with worthwhile ideas and holding on to them long enough for them to be shared by more people. So keep up the
1: good work. I love it. We'll catch up again. Great. Thank you very much, George Blair West. This has been episode 20 of the Super Dad Show. Join us next time and uh, we will make sure that we get George Blair West on again to uh, unpack some of these subjects further for you. Have a great day. Whether you're a dad or not, if you listen to the show and you love what you heard, please go to www.patreon.com slash superdads online and sign up as a patron for just $5. In exchange, I will send you a coupon code to use in our superfamiliesonline.com merchandise store and you can get $5 off your first purchase and order a super dad, Mum, kid, or teen t-shirt and other merchandise. Thanks for listening.